welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Todd Randall about how he grew his business and inspires others to get the life that they want. Not every entrepreneur invents a new product or becomes an Instagram influencer. Todd was a dull bureaucrat who wanted more for himself and decided maybe the dull way was exactly the path for him. Leaving a high-profile executive position, Todd started a small retail store that he then grew into a multiple million-dollar multiple enterprise business that eventually produced the variety and freedom for him to lead an enthusiastic, dynamic life. The path wasn't easy, and it was full of decision points that could change his path for the better or worse. Welcome, Todd. Yeah, thanks for that nice introduction, Virginia. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to have you here today. So what kind of made you decide to start that entrepreneurial journey and or leave the life you were on? I think a lot of professionals reach this point in their career, uh, whether it's a midlife crisis or whether it's some personal trauma in life. There are inflection points in your life that help you decide what's really important. And when I was young, I was not that much different than other young people. I aspired to the shiny objects, right? Um, I wanted a fancy title. I got a healthcare degree, so I was a quote-unquote professional. I started you know, climbing the corporate ladder. And next thing you know, I'm traveling the world with a cool card, with a cool business card and, uh, and a fancy title. Uh, the problem with that <laughs> is that I'm not a political animal. And some people really are. God bless them. They're just better at it than, than I was. Um, I think some, you may have friends like this too, Virginia, where they just seem to know which team to be on and they're picking winners and losers. And sometimes they acknowledge that some people lose in, in the interest of their gaining. And that's all part of life. Uh, think about friends you might have from New Jersey, right? It's like, well, it's just business. And I just wasn't good at that. Um, what I was doing to get ahead is I was outworking my colleagues. Uh, and that can be a real grind, you know, holidays and weekends and what have you. And I just, I was really good at what I did and I loved it. And so it wasn't hard for me to overwork, but at some point, you know, person loses patience for those kind of hours. And so I did a work assignment one time in Europe and just really opened my eyes that, you know, the lifestyles are a little different sometimes. I did a, a vacation in Paris. I called my boss and I said, I'm, I'm going to stay here for a bit. <laughs> and they're like, a bit? Quite <laughs> <Not> a bit. <laughs> And so I said, I'm not sure, more than a couple of weeks. And they're like, okay, you know, why don't you plan on starting back in a month or so? Because I, I had delivered for them for a long time and they knew that employees like me would burn out. And so they gave me four or five weeks. And I was in Paris for a month and I had one of the best months of my life. And I think I spent a total of like 2,800 bucks. Now for some, now 2,800 bucks is nothing to sniff at. You know, for some people that's, that's a lot of money. But for me at the time, I was a very high income earner and that was much, much less than I was used to spending a month. And I was in a foreign country. I was practicing a foreign language. I was, you know, golfing with friends and hitting up the, you know, the opera and doing everything I wanted to do. Um, and it wasn't costing me much money. What it made me realize is that maybe the corporate ladder, make a bigger salary, maybe wasn't you know, wasn't the only way to get there. Um, and so that was, that was kind of my turning point. And when I got back to the U S I just started researching options. Uh, and I think this is the, the, the interesting part that kind of uh, aligns with your interests because you're always, I, I see, I love your podcast, by the way, I'm a fan. Um, and I love that you are exploring what helps people make that switch. Like what makes you want to be an entrepreneur? There has to be something inside that makes you do the switch. And for me, it was, it was, a, it was an impatience with the corporate culture. And um, it, was, it was a coming to grips with 
my desires, not what the world desired of me. You know what I mean? Yes. Because you would have had a lot of, I'm going to say give and take with the career that you had, because you would have had to give up a lot of other things that mm -hmm. probably you wanted or meant a lot to you. In yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. My, my health had suffered. You know, I'd started to put on a little bit of weight. My marriage had gone down the tubes. Uh, nobody likes to be disregarded over and over again, right? Even someone who loves you very much. My, you know, my sleep patterns had kind of gone awry. And I just thought, well, I want those things back, even if it's expensive. And so this is the fact, you know, so many people call me about this part of my life because I was essentially an expert. I was really smart at one thing and people all over the world were interested in what my opinion was. And that made me feel satisfied. Right. But it's a hard thing to leverage on your own. Like I could have started a professional services firm where I let myself out for, for money. Right. But that meant I would have been traveling just as much and, you know, putting as many, cause the more time you put in, the more money you make. And I just felt like that was, um, I'd already suffered from that addiction where you trade time for money and the more time you put in, the more money you get back. Um, I wanted a different path. Um, and I didn't have an idea for the Rubik's cube. That's why in, um, in our first conversation, I, I told you, look, not everyone has to be an inventor or good looking, <laughs> right? To be an entrepreneur. I was neither. So my question was, well, how does, it, how does a smart guy who works hard, how do they form a business? And it turns out there are actually lots of options for folks like that. There are lots of retired plumbers and school teachers and, um, you know, failed out of high school folks who just pick up an, an idea and go with it. They can buy a franchise license. They can buy a product, you know, somewhere inexpensive and then sell it more elsewhere. They can just hustle, right? They can mow lawns or Amazon, you know, or eBay uh, flipping. Um, and I looked and looked and looked and I found a business that worked for me. It wasn't the perfect business, but it was a start and I was thrilled with that. So are you still doing retail now or have you kind of stepped away from that? In a way, my first business was a franchise. I opened a spa, you know, paying royalty rights to somebody who could help me. There were training wheels, essentially. I didn't need them, but it was a confidence boost to know that I had help. And so I opened a spa and it did well. I built it myself. I trained everyone myself. I manned the front desk. I sold, you know, memberships and packages and stuff. I took out the trash and washed the windows. And it was awesome. And a year later, I realized... Pardon? You understood each position. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. In a small business, I think, I think there's a lot of value in that. I've done it with every business since where I've gone in and, and run it. And it helps me know how to staff it. And, you know, a year later, I realized that I was putting in just as many hours and I had just as many anxieties that were just different than the ones I had before. So that's when my real success journey began. Like I was an entrepreneur now, you know, yay. <laughs> I, wasn't, I didn't work for somebody else. And I did have some freedom, but I chose to work. I, ch I chose to work. <laughs> I just put myself in a, in a bad spot. And so my real success journey started a year in when I realized that being an entrepreneur isn't everything it's cracked up to be unless you come at it with some kind of some kind of leverage attitude, if you know what I mean. So then did you start, let's say, getting your business to run where it would run without you physically being there? Yeah. And this is a... Uh, 
This is a little bit of a trope. It's a meme, right? People want freedom. They want their business to run without them being there. And the reason I say it's a trope or a meme is because when people talk about it, it makes it sound so easy. You know, it's like, I started a business where I only work 10 hours a week. And I think that's mostly bullshit. Forgive my French. The I think for the most part, people are using those lines for hype. It is absolutely possible. There are many people who do it, but it takes years and years and years to get it right. So there's no book or course or, you know, retreat that you can go to that teaches you how to be a, you know, world renowned author with passive income for the rest of your life or teaches you how to flip Airbnbs, you know, with passive income for the rest of your life. There's just, I've never met anybody that's done that. Um, what they did is they moved out of their house and they could afford keeping their old one as so they fixed it up a little bit and put tenants in it and they managed it and they realized it was a pain in the butt and they managed it better. Right. And then they use the equity in that house to get another small house that they could afford. And they put tenants in that one. And next thing you know, they've got two and it got to be more of a headache and they failed at it and they just got better. And next thing you know, they've got 12. At that point, they can hire a full time operator and they can live in Sarasota. Right. And then they can sell a course that tells you how in one weekend you can, you know, have passive income for the rest of your life. <laughs> but it, it's growing pains. <laughs> yeah. But it took them 15 years to do that. Right. And for me, um, yeah, it was, I had, uh, my, my staff would come to me with stuff and say, Todd, this is really important. We need a decision on it. And I thought, well, you know, that's only something I can do. No one else can do that. Right. And, uh, but I was too busy. So I would delay the decision and delay the decision. And then they'd call me and say, it's too late. Now we have this consequence of an expense or, an, uh, you know, a customer who quit the service or a bad Yelp review or some, some consequence that I didn't want. And so my man, <laughs> I had been working with a long-term manager at that point. Her name was Carolina. God bless her soul. And she <laughs> was so patient with me and finally just had it. And she's like, look, you can trust me. I, I promise I will, I will try. And if I fail, I will learn and I will just do better the next time. But it would be infinitely better than you just having to make every decision. And so we tried to start delegating for real where I said, okay, here's a series of tasks that I'm always late on. Um, let's work on a little bit and you do them instead of me. And we failed. It was terrible. <laughs> it was you know, because the fact of the matter is if I was there, I would have made a different decision and I didn't hand them off in a way. She didn't know what I wanted. She made a reasonable decision based on her context and she just wasn't taking my perspective into account. Um, and so when I say it failed, it just didn't, it achieved what she thought it would. It didn't achieve what I wanted it to. And so we set up between the two of us, we set up this five-step plan more or less where if, um, you know, if we worked on these five skills to delegate, um, we could delegate things gracefully. And a couple of years later, we had it pretty nailed. There was some point where I started buying other businesses and she ran four businesses for me and used these techniques with her managers. That's cool. Because she couldn't make all the decisions either, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. So now you're doing the coaching business, right? So you're helping other people be able to do the same thing. Yeah. Like there, there comes a point where... I have sufficient income now. You know, I have a handful of businesses. I have a construction company. Um, I have a wholesale company. I have a gym. Um, I have a consulting and coaching company. And for the most part, um, I've been coaching for four or five years. I just really enjoy helping other people avoid some of the mistakes that I made. And I think I'm countering bad information, which makes me feel proud. <laughs> because, because I think that there are a lot of people that do want their own business these days. And there's a group of people not taking advantage of it, but 
you know, without very much experience trying to, is it the blind leading the blind, if you know what I mean? You've run your own business for a while. I'm sure that, you know, you've seen courses or coaches like that and you think anything you to yourself, how, how much value could you offer at 17? Or it's like, yes, because a lot of places teach you that, well, you're, you're your ideal customer just a few steps ahead of them where they are right now. That's a good one. To coach them, you need to be more than a few places ahead. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to be, let's say, where you are, where you've done it, you've proven that system in a few different businesses, in the, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you where I got my first few coaching clients is I was buying a business and I was late to the game on one of these. And the, the broker said to me, all right, there's a kid here who's really talented that made an offer on the business and we're doing due diligence on that. So you're out, like you can't have it. But I, I, he's struggling making the connections and making, you know, getting the deal done. He could use someone with more experience. Would you be interested in coaching him? And um, I think she was interested in maybe us partnering up because I had more capital than he did. I had more experience than he did. I would make the investors feel better than he would uh, despite his great expertise. And so we met and talked and he's like, wow, this is this is really useful because I just was pointing him in the right direction. I, I realized that business cards and a, and a company name seem really important right now. Forget it. doesn't matter. Call it Joe's Pizza LLC. Right. It wasn't pizza, but you know what I mean? And move on. Like we, we need, there are important issues to tackle. And that be, ended up being a fruitful relationship. And it reminded me that, you know, starting and failing or succeeding eight or 10 times is a wealth of experience more than someone doing it for their first or second time. So I have a, a handful of clients who are like PhDs in electrical engineering or, you know, some, you know, obscure but important profession and they're starting their first business. They have an investor, they work for a company that is you know, dismissive of one of their products and they just want to dump it or sell it. And they step in and say, hey, I've been managing this product and I feel like it don't get, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. I'll, I'll buy it and I'll run it. And then, <laughs> and then you know, it's always the, um, that age old question, you know, what if you get what you asked for? And they're really in trouble and they're, they're in over their head. So I'm a good, you know, you're in over your head coach. So how do you um, find clients or how do you get out there and, and how do the clients find you? Yeah, this is the real question right now. I think the whole consulting and coaching industry is struggling with it because five years ago, people got clients like I did five years ago. You went to conferences, you spoke on a panel, you had a reputation. People would call you when they would get a new job. I'm like, geez, I just got to company XYZ and they're a mess over here. Can you come help me fix it? Um, That's how I got all my clients five years ago. And then eventually people started using online tools and the people who were most successful at it first were in two camps of people. They were the internet savvy folks, people who just understood to the engines and the analytics and stuff, which is great because they can get lots of clients, but they didn't have much experience to offer because they were experts on the internet and not something else. Or great salespeople. Like great salespeople usually migrate from the greatest thing to the next greatest thing. And, you know, those folks understood that there was lots of demand in the coaching space and they jumped over into the coaching space and they were doing the same thing. They were picking up clients left and right and they just didn't know what to do with them. So begs the question, how am I getting that? How am I getting them? What we decided is we decided it's a long game for us. We think that most of the folks are in for three, six months. They get frustrated and they exit. But we're going to have a different plan. Uh, we're going to be in it for a couple of years, invest time and money and, and build tools and content, etc. And um, that model has really worked out for us. And actually, as a side note, we ended up picking up lots of clients who were at that three or six month mark and they're pretty frustrated. And they realize now, oh, okay, 
all right, maybe this is not an overnight success thing. And there are some folks that really want to do this. Like for me, I have enough income. I really want to teach. Like I really want to do that. I've moved a few times in the last five years. And so establishing relationships with the local universities is, you know, this thing that I have to keep doing. Plus, I think universities are going going bye-bye. You know, they're not as relevant as they used to be. And so this is my way of teaching. And so for me, this this works out really well, the long game, because I can say, great, five years from now, I'd like, you know, to have all the businesses sold and I'd like to coach full time. And I'd like a small to medium sized coaching business where I really help people that pays for itself and buys me horses. Horses are good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's the answer is I play the long game. And I know that that's, you know, not very practical, but I'm happy to go into a little more practical details if you want, because there are ways to play the long game and there are ways to play the short game. Like the short game is just getting on Facebook, opening an account and putting pictures of your, you know, of your meal up every day. Um, and you build familiarity with people and then you hit them in the DM and ask them to buy stuff. And if you ask a thousand people, sometimes you run across people that don't know any better and they buy your service. Um, now you could satisfy them or you could not, but that's the short game. The long game is really more about producing a real brand with real content that fits specifically the audience that you've selected. And that's, that's a whole different vehicle right there. Yeah. Definitely providing the value and stuff. So you're using social media Almost exclusively. Yeah, I do have some context, of course, that I work. Um, but social media is the, the way uh, these days. I've been to one conference in three years. You can't really walk around to the booths and talk to the vendors anymore. It just doesn't work that way. So I have a couple you know, accounts that I put free content up every day so that people can realize that I'm useful. And then when people engage with specific content, sometimes we reach out to them and say, hey, notice you've been really engaged on the leverage content. Is that someplace you are right now? You know, is there anything you want to work through? And those conversations, because I've taken the long play and because I'm not pounding on them the minute we meet, you know, those, those conversations are fruitful. Oh, I'm glad you reached out. I was, you know, I was going to, I was going to message you. And uh, Facebook is my primary vehicle. I just find that it has the most useful tools. I'm sure lots of them are relevant, but that I have a Facebook group that's just, that's exactly the right niche that I, that I market to. But that's good. That's fun. Yeah. So you had kind of touched on, sorry. (laughs) So you kind of touched on like selling your businesses, doing a coaching thing is, what are your goals for the next year or two? I have a handful of businesses now. I probably exit gracefully out of one or two of them and hand them off to business owners that are closer to them or more passionate about them. And then my goals for five or 10 years from now, because I'm a really long thinker, are more travel and teaching related. And so I'll keep one of my businesses as a income producing you know, growth vehicle um, and then spend most of my time teaching. And so what that means for me from a practical perspective is I need to choose that business and invest heavily in the staff there. I need to find folks that can run it absolutely without me and use all the skills that Carolina and I developed back when, you know, she made she made me come to Jesus and build a build a method that didn't stress her out. And so um, yeah, hiring, training, operating, uh, reiterating those steps is uh, my full-time passion for the next uh, couple of years or so. You What do you feel is your number one roadblock that might be stopping you from... I think the growth block really is the staffing because it's it's such a hard thing to rush. I heard uh, the chief 
uh, human resources officer for Southwest uh, speak at a conference one time. And she said, uh, hire slow, fire fast. So if you find someone that's just not the right fit or you feel has poor integrity, like that's a person who exit as gracefully as you can, as soon as you can. But getting the right people is the most important thing. It's the premise of the book, Good to Great, team first, right? And luckily, I have spent ages developing good talent at the businesses that I have. And I have such a good base right now. But in order to support them, they need help. And they haven't run eight or 10 businesses like I have. They haven't been through this process. And so if I'm smart, instead of just hiring the people that they need, I will help them learn the process so that they build the staff that they need so that they can lead the business as opposed to operate it. It's like give a man a fish or it really is a teaching, uh, teaching them to fish thing. And like I said, that takes time. And so that's when, when people ask what my block is, um, it's not so much um, a block as a burden. You have to invest the time here. You end up with poor results. And so you look and look and look and you hire. Here's one trick that I use um, that really works for me is I hire for a particular position, but I have in mind, right, what that person might be good at next if they, if they kick butt. And if they come in, I spent a lot of time with them in their first position, making sure they have every opportunity to succeed. And then six or eight months in, I'm like, wow, you are doing great at this. And they are so enthusiastic because they're doing great at their job. Who doesn't want to be great at their job, right? And then because I've, I've already acknowledged that they have more potential, that's, that's when you start really investing in them. Right. It's like, hey, how would you, where would you like to be in five years? How do you like the business? How do you like working with me? What if you had more responsibility? Does that excite you or does that stress you out? Um, and you could get either answer. You don't know until six or eight months in. And that's, that's what I mean by the burden because you have to go through this process a few times. And the first person you hire, you might get six or eight months in and like, this is my dream job. I don't want any more responsibility. This is perfect. Let me do this forever. Like, great. You got a good win, but that's not the person you were looking for. So that's okay. Find another position in the company and then overhire for that position. Train them up and six months or eight months in, you got to ask the question again. Wow, you're doing great. How would you like, you know, how do you like the position? How do you like the company? How do you like working with me? How would you like to take on more responsibility? And if they're up for it, then, you know, you jump in with both feet. And in a couple of years, you might have one or two of those people figured out. Yeah. So really, it's just time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you have to put time to good use. Time is free. So what would you say the best advice that you've ever received is? Oh, yeah. I always struggle with this particular question because I get loads of good advice. I Here's... <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like a meta answer to a meta question. When I was young, I was advised to get to get mentors and find people to tap into. And I did in a way, uh, but I didn't get mentors with enough experience. I would essentially walk into a situation and say, okay, I want to be the best capital equipment salesperson at McKesson. Who's that person now? And how can I spend time with them and just replicate their process, right? And that was a way that I would always get geared up. Um, and it's a good way to get Rookie of the Year award, you know, for whatever your company or situation you're in. Uh, but as soon as I had my own business, I fell off that wagon. And I had someone sit me down and say, look, Todd, you had, you know, so much potential and success when you were a corporate guy. Why do you think you're floundering as your own business person? Tell me about other folks that you know that have two or three businesses like this. And I couldn't answer. I didn't have a single one. And it's the advice that I didn't take. 
I beat my head against the wall for a couple more years before I realized, oh, geez, <laughs> maybe this can, you know, someone can be helpful to me and save me years. And, you know, if I would have hired a better accountant 15 years ago, if I would have hired a better attorney 15 years ago, if I would have had a better mentor 15 years ago, I could avoid so much hassle, so much pain, so much expense. That's the best advice. Do you think you didn't hire, like, let's say, the better accountant because of the price that was involved with it? Yeah, no, as a small business owner, this is a normal trap that people fall into. And that is that you need practical results right now. You have a budget of $10,000 of operating expenses every month. And so you can't spend 8000 of it on an accountant. You need to pay rent, you know, and you have staff and everything else. Um, and so you get the person that fits into your budget. And I was really diligent about that, about staying in budget, et cetera. Uh, there were times that I should have been building a relationship with someone with more experience. And good CPA firms and stuff are bloody expensive. They really are. But you need to find a way to get there, um, in my experience. You find someone that can help you avoid the traps. Because some of those folks, like let's say, for instance, you spend, you know, I'm just making up numbers here. Let's say you spend $5,000 to hire someone to do your taxes as opposed to hiring someone for $1,000 to do your taxes. If you don't need a $5,000 accountant, then don't hire them, right? But if your life starts to become complicated, that $5,000 tax prep could save you $15,000 or $100 or a million, right? And so the return on investment can and should be measured when you make those kind of calls. Yeah. We've noticed a difference in having a really good accountant. Uh, not so much, yeah. Even in our personal taxes, let alone our corporate. Yeah, I think once you get more than one business, or once you start driving, you know, more than a hundred thousand, you know, dollars or so in revenue, I think having your bookkeeper do your taxes is a practical thing to do while you get started. And then after after you reach some threshold, find a CPA whose expertise is only taxes, and feed your bookkeeping to the tax accountant. Maybe that's my one tip for the day. What do you think would be the best advice you've ever given along with your tips? <laughs> oh, patience. Oh, God. I can't tell you. In my businesses, the first retail businesses I had, I had so many young staff and some of them were enthusiastic, you know, but <laughs> their perspective because of the culture they grew up in, in comparison to mine, was slightly different. I'll never forget, you know, the conversations where these 20 and 21 year old well-meaning, you know, staff members would come into my office and sit down with a big sigh and well, Todd, you know, I've been working here for six months already. <laughs> and I thought something was really important until then. And so I was, you know, bated breath. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, did, one, did they get into an argument with an employee? Did they have an emergency at home? What's the, they are really, this is a serious conversation. And what they wanted to tell me is that they've been here a long dang time. And when are they going to be finally appreciated for their efforts? And I'm like, six months. Oh my God. You know, and I've also had staff that I thought had lots of potential and I had a plan for them. And I had thought I'd been generous with them on that timeline. And they get to a point where they're like, well, I'm making $15 an hour and Geico down the street is paying $18 an hour for a customer service agent on the telephone. And I'm like, well, yeah, I understand that, that how that math works out right now. But you're on a management path. You could be 22 years old managing a staff of 50 people in 18 months or 24 months. Like nobody gets that opportunity. And those are the folks that go on to make big bucks someday. Right. People who learn how to manage people, people who have a mentor three times their age, like like you do. Do you see that value? And they're like, well, yeah, but Geico's paying 18 and they would leave. And I just wanted I wanted to be their uncle in that moment as opposed to their boss and say, 
please have a seat. Let me talk some sense into you. When I was your age, I was dying for a mentor and dying for an opportunity like this. And I don't want to see you pass it up. So many, like they were just so short-term visioned instead of doing the long-term. I get it. Like I, I, no judgment, you know, in their shoes. I know that's a difficult decision to make, but that's my advice to them is to, and especially to young people is to see the long picture. Your twenties is not about income at all. In my opinion, your twenties is strictly about experience. If you spend your 20s properly, by 30, you can be in a really good income job or you can have a business that produces real revenue. But I don't like I don't know how you get there earlier than that. If you trade for money that early, inevitably, that judgment ends up being short. Yeah, myopic. I think even just for entrepreneurs, that that's a good thing. to right? mm-hmm. So many times we're so bombarded with, let's say, that overnight success. Oh, God. <laughs> But it's just like with the movie stars. Oh, they're an overnight success. Yeah, but it took them 15 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I'll never forget. That. I can't remember the name of the rock band. It's sad. Um, there was a rock band who uh, played clubs and on the street and whatever and put out 14 albums for 31 years. And then all of a sudden, like, they had one hit and they were the biggest thing. And, and they were asked that question. It's an internet meme. I, I wish you'd look it up on YouTube where the reporter asked him, what's it like to be an overnight success? Like, oh, if you only knew, Right. How many hours of busking and crappy clubs we played in to get here? But it's a long-term game. The confidence is the thing that you're lacking. I understand that. I understand at 20 being insecure about everything. Um, you just look around, especially these days, you look on social media and people only put their very best pictures up and they only put their successes up. You don't see the whole process. And so you think, geez, I'm 20, whatever already. <laughs> this, this was, this was a, a, um, an expression that cut me to my soul every time I heard it. I'm 26 already. And I'm like, yeah, you're only 26. There are different perspectives. Like 26 already means nothing. But when they look on social media, they see other people who are 26 to drive Lamborghinis. They think, well, I guess I have to have that. And no, it's, it's not true. It's not true. You don't have to have that at all. If you want a Lamborghini, there's a long play to get it. Just do that. And not only that, but it's like they're just comparing themselves to what that like 0.4% of people instead of all the other people that are around them. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, um, do you have any advice on escaping the judgment from the world that's around us? Um, I'll tell you what I did is I turned off all social media like a dozen years ago. I don't think that's an option for people nowadays because it's such an important tool for getting clients. But I think your relationship with social media is crucial. I, I think this is a conversation you need to have with yourself. Being grounded is, is more difficult now than it was 20 years ago. All I do to get through it is I, I don't put personal content, content on social media at all. That's the way I deal with it. And I'm not sure that's advice I'm giving to someone uh, starting their own business because sometimes that personal stuff brings authenticity. Right. You have, you do have to actively search for a way. Like if it's therapy, great. If it's coaching, great. Um, if it's, you know, your partner, choosing your partner, super. Having an entourage. This is why people bring entourages to LA. You know, if they become a model or a singer or an actor, they bring entourages because they need to, they need to see home. They, they lose perspective. They get there and they think that they're a superstar. And the fact of the matter is six months from now, they may not be. Right. Is there anything that you'd like to share with us that we haven't talked about yet? <laughs> yeah, lots, lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, nothing that I'm dying to share. I think that the patience and the confidence thing 
is there are an awful lot of coaches nowadays on mindset. And I'm a little critical that when they come on as clients, I really push them to develop something that's unique and distinctive because mindset has been diluted uh, to a point where people, everyone think they need mindset coaching. Um, and that's not true. Everyone can probably use mindset components of coaching and everyone can use friends and stuff that have healthy mindsets. But um, I think that the the most important mindset, the, the aspect of mindset coaching that is really, truly valuable is... Um, developing an inner confidence that allows you to choose a, a journey that's yours and yours alone, right? Look back through your crucibles, take advantage of them. Everybody has times like, you know, traumatic events or breakups or injuries or health scares or political scares. There are times that you can look inside and try to examine who you are. I think that's the most important thing. If you can ground yourself in those moments, your path can be so much more clear. And um, if there's any one thing I can share, I'd like to, sh- I'd like to share that. Find, find your own path. If you do, the rest of it does become infinitely easier. So true. Do what makes you happy, not other people. Difficult. I, I was I was a poster child for the opposite, um, which is why it's so important to me because it was my my failure, and I learned it late. I'm glad you learned it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Where can we go to find out more about you and what you do? Uh, my coaching group. I have a, a coaching group on Facebook called Real Business Coaching. I think that's the easiest way to find me. I just post a bunch of free content there. It's a way for people to get to know me over months or years and, um, you know, discover a time where they could use help or mentorship in establishing a real business. It's called real business coaching for a reason. You know, if you're in the space because you want to derive an income from your expertise or your your efforts, those are the kind of businesses I help people build. Thank you for being here. Yeah, what you do is important. I think, you know, helping, helping give people practical tips about how to move forward is a little underutilized, I think, these days. There are lots of folks, like I say, helping people drive mindset, but so many people who come to the space are already determined. They just need tools. And I love the fact that you have a vehicle to give people real tools to get started. That's amazing. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing your expertise, opinion, what you're doing that's working for you. Hopefully, there's someone out there that needed to hear that. Yeah, it's an honor. I, re- I really appreciate the opportunity to share. And nice to talk to you again. You too. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.